The captivity of God is actually wonderful for our souls. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Jen. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are studying the Bible in one year, 33 years we've been doing that. Psalm 126 is a very interesting psalm. We're going to study that in about five minutes. So stay there. It's going to be good. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? I'm going to be taking a look at doves in the ancient world and how they're used throughout the Bible. Ryan? Today I'm focused on Psalm 132, 18, which says of the triumphant Messiah, but upon himself his crown shall flourish. Now, it's on this crown of Christ that I really want to focus today. All right, very good. The crown and dubs. Very interesting. They're coming up in about 20 minutes time. Janice in about 25. Janice? From captivity to salvation. All right. Take your Bible guide. Turn to today's passage as we study Psalm 126. We're going to do that. Let's open it up and listen to what God has said. Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Psalm 126 I say it a lot, but I mean it. I love the book of Psalms. Psalm 126, 127, 128, 129, 130, 131, 132, 133, 134. Seems like a lot of Psalms, but the, sh the chapters are very, very short. And uh, these Psalms are really good because there's so much into every single verse. Today, we love and we desire freedom, don't we? We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. But that attitude and approach to life can be devastating, not just for you, but for the others around you. When we make our own decisions all the time, in every way, people end up suffering and perishing because of those decisions. You see, freedom is never free. True freedom requires, ready for it, responsibility. We never come to the place where we make decisions exclusively for ourselves and not bear the consequences of that. Now, Christians or Christ followers are those who follow Christ. And we know and understand this. Jesus Christ came to earth and willingly gave his life for ours because that's what God's will is. And we're Christians, followers of Christ. God's will in our life involves responsibility for our life and for others. As Christians, we submit our ability to make decision under God's will for us. Our freedom is the personal responsibility to tell others about what Christ has done for us through loving and saving grace he's provided for us. 
He restores our very soul. Well, Psalm 126 is a meditation study of God's joyful restoration and return of the exiles from Babylon to Zion. Isn't that something? We have Psalms from all over time and space. Take your Bible guides and turn today to Psalm 126. That's today's captivity with God. If you don't have a Bible guide, you can call us or write to us and we would be happy to send you one so that you can understand what we're doing. And uh, follow us. Actually, what'll happen is it'll take you to a page. Thank you for your donations. We really appreciate them and they keep us strong. And during this time of inflation and everything else, and Father, I pray for those in inflation. Touch them, Father. Help them today. And those who are struggling, Lord, help us and help everybody, Lord, because it's difficult. But Lord, you are the provider and you are the restorer. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. And we're going to talk about this. And Father, help us to understand your word and help us to hear your word as we speak on this subject today, Lord. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. And then it'll take you to a page you can download it for yourself. Now, this is uh, really something as we look at this because we've checked out previous Psalms to this, but This is Psalm 126, and Psalm 126 is absolutely stunning when we look at it. Here's what it says. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. That's interesting. What a great passage. But I want you to understand something. Captivity to God's will is wonderful for our souls. Captivity to God's will is wonderful for our souls. We must live in the discipline of God's word. God says here, look out for others like you look out for yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then it says one more. Love your enemies. Wait a minute, Lord, that doesn't sound right. Well, we can't do it humanly, so we have to ask God to help us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And that teaches us that that's not our choice, but that is the choice which God has given to us. And in a sense, we're captive to that choice. So captivity is important to God. That's important. Now, they're worshiping that they're free now, but their freedom... Actually, you read the passages and their freedom was pretty much captive. All right, let's go to Psalm 126, verse 4. I love this. This is great. Bring back our captivity. Now, he's using it in the way of our position of knowing, but I see it also as bring back our discipline. Oh, Lord, as the streams in the south. Absolutely true. Beloved, listen carefully. Captivity to God's word is a good thing. It's a good thing. As we read the Bible, it brings the life-giving stream. I guess the best way I can describe this is one of the things we say is giving is an act of worship to God. People are like, no, I don't give my money to anybody except who I want to give it to. Well, that's great, but, you know, let me tell you what God does. If you give your 10%, God then 
Always make sure that you have everything you need. Now, that's important in this time of inflation. That's important in this time of prices of gas and prices of food going through the roof. We need to understand that. If we are going to survive, we need to discipline ourselves under the word of God. And the captivity of God is a good thing. The scripture also points to something else, which I find interesting. I'm going to talk a little bit about this at the end. Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. Now watch this. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Do you understand what he's saying here? Living the truth of God's will, we become people the Lord trusts. We fulfill everything that God commands. When we become people who dedicate ourselves to working in the Lord's will, things begin to change. For example, a businessman comes to know the Lord. He's a Christ follower. Now, his money is not the most important thing to him. Did you hear that? Because that's, I could go through all the New Testament scriptures, which we're going to go through now or, or later in the year. But I'm telling you, money is not the most important thing. The most important thing is knowing God, the Lord Jesus Christ. That changes business a little bit, doesn't it? God desires us to have successful business and he will do it, but we have to submit to him first and allow him to work in our lives. Very important. Somebody in sports, the most important thing is for him to win. But somebody who's a Christian and into sports, it's important for him to win, but it's more important for him to know the Lord. That's different because knowing the Lord is the first thing. Because your sports can come and go, but knowing God, that's forever. That's very critical for us to remember. Beloved, we need to keep that in mind. So as we look at this passage, as we understand these things, we need to say, Lord Jesus, help me to reiterate my life into a way that's kind of divided so that you understand that I can understand you better. And when we make a decision every morning, every evening, whatever, to come to know God and read his word, when we make that decision, things are different because we read the word of God, what he said to us. And when we read what he said to us and we pray, then that day we're ready for whatever comes our way. So Father, help us today to be ready for what's coming our way. We need to pay attention to you in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what we ask. Help us today in Jesus' name. And we said together, make it so or amen. A lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy. You buy this hairspray and you're going to be happy. You smell like this flower, you're going to be happy. You take this drug, you're going to be happy. You buy this car, you're going to be happy. See, it all tells me I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living. Today, our reading assignment is Psalms 126 to 134, and I'm looking specifically at Psalm 132, verse 18, which proclaims of the coming Messiah, 
but upon himself his crown shall flourish. Now, today I want to study this kingly piece of apparel worn by our soon-coming Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And despite the fact that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, and the beginning and the end, our very Creator, he still humbled himself as a babe in a manger, eventually exchanging his heavenly crown for a crown of thorns. But by the grace and the mercy of God, that's not where the story ends. Although just one week earlier he had made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem as the King of the Jews, Jesus was now being horrifically beaten and scourged at the hands of the Romans in preparation for his crucifixion. Respect spiraled quickly into ridicule as the soldiers stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Then when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. That the Romans placed a crown of thorns upon the head of Jesus to mock him is appropriate, since from the earliest periods of history, chaplets of leaves were bestowed upon heroes who had conquered on the field of battle, and later also upon Olympic champions. Hence the crown of thorns mimicked these wreaths of triumph, as well as of the golden crowns of kings. However, to the ignorance of the world, this wasn't a defeat, but a victory because the Messiah's life wasn't being taken, but rather it was being given. The Son of God and the very Creator of the world had willingly traded His heavenly crown for a crown of scorn, which literally bore one of the identifying marks of the cursed creation, thorns and thistles. However, this wasn't the end, but the beginning, a new beginning. In fact, Jesus' victory over sin and death was foreseen and declared many years earlier. For example, Psalm 132 verse 18 says of the triumphant Messiah, But upon himself his crown shall flourish. A particularly vivid metaphor when one considers the ancient practice of bestowing chaplets of leaves on champions and victors of war. Also, the Apostle John saw and describes the coming Jesus in Revelation chapter 19. One of the things he noted was his head. On it was no longer a crown of thorns, but instead many crowns. Significantly, in ancient times, monarchs who claimed authority over more than one country wore more than one crown. The king of Egypt, for example, wore united crowns of Upper and Lower Egypt. And when Ptolemy Philometor entered Antioch as a conqueror, he wore a triple crown, two for Egypt and the third for Asia. Yet John saw him who was king of kings and lord of lords, and on his head were many crowns. Thus, in a beautiful figure, the universal dominion of our blessed Lord is set forth. So Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the creator of everything, exchanged his heavenly crown for a crown of thorns, which really was a crown of scorn. Now, while the world believed that Jesus had been defeated, it was actually a major victory because he rose from the dead on the third day and defeated sin and death once and for all. And after a short while, he then went back to heaven where he's now waiting for a second coming when he'll come not as a lamb led to the slaughter, but as a conqueror and as a king. And John sees the coming Christ and he's wearing many crowns, which signifies his complete and total dominion and authority over everything and everyone. His coming is sure. Are you ready? It's a really good question. We need to be ready because we, you know, we, we've kind of lost the understanding of what a crown is. 
And uh, Revelation 19 tells us that Jesus is coming back and he's, he's got judgment in his hand mm-hmm. and we're behind him. And so it's going to change. This is the age of grace that we live in. And this, this grace is going to change now. Uh, and this gets very interesting. Mm-hmm, so for sure. the crown is an important thing to remember that represents authority. Mm-hmm. And so he has all of it. That's right. All of heaven and earth are under his authority. So (laughs) you need to get ready. All right. Very good. Corey. All right. So today I'm taking a look at a pretty humble biblical animal. We're taking a look at the dove. Now, the dove's usage throughout the Bible is quite varied. So let's jump into uh, a study on it. The text of the Bible, along with the ancient physical remains of the people of Israel and Judah, tell of an interesting relationship with doves and pigeons. The symbolism of the dove has been passed down to us today, mainly through Christianity, as representing the sacred, specifically the Holy Spirit. This imagery begins with the very practical use of the dove by Noah in Genesis 8. Noah uses what became a tried-and-true sailor's practice, the releasing of a dove to help locate land. Noah's dove, with its iconic olive branch, is still an enduring symbol of peace. Its context as a messenger of God's peace with Noah's family helps explain its association with the Spirit of God. This symbolism became rooted deeply within Judaism, so that by the time of Jesus, John the Baptist claimed to see the Holy Spirit descending in bodily form like a dove onto Jesus. Because of this, the dove, along with its watery friend the fish for its own reasons, became enduring early Christian symbols. Looking back into the Hebrew scriptures, Judaism had come to understand the reference to the Spirit of God hovering over the primordial waters in Genesis 1 verse 2 to be connected to the hovering or flying of a dove. The mournful cooing sounds of doves and pigeons, as well as their flight and nesting patterns, also find biblical usage in the prophets. And to the famous lovers of Song of Songs, Dove proved a faithful pet name. Practically speaking, doves were not all pet names and symbols. They were an integral part of the sacrificial worship of God. Doves and pigeons were acceptable burnt offerings and could stand in the place of a more expensive sin offering. We see this in practice with Mary and Joseph's sacrifice after Jesus' birth. They brought two doves, one replacing a more expensive lamb for their sin offering, and one as the prescribed burnt offering. This sacrificial usage is backed up by the archaeological discovery of dovecote towers in and around Jerusalem, referred to as columbaria. There have been three tower ruins explored in the Kidron Valley quite close to the Temple Mount. There have been 40 discovered around Jerusalem and hundreds in the rest of Israel. The Kidron Valley towers no doubt service the dove sellers whom Jesus saw fit to drive out of the temple complex. Most of the remaining columbaria date to the Hellenistic and early Roman periods, which is not surprising given the rich tradition of dove rearing in Greek society. Dove raising towers had features to limit predator access and with their niches could house thousands of birds. But most of the dovecotes in Israel were actually carved into underground man-made limestone caves. These were clearly more durable than their tower counterparts. And rather than providing religious sacrifices, these columbaria housed doves that were raised for their meat and their droppings, which proved a valuable fertilizer. 
there we go. The dub now from pet names for each other to a sacrificial animal to, you know, doves being used symbolically to show God's favor and the end of judgment. There's there's a lot in there when it comes to them. So I, I hope that kind of gives you a background knowledge and some background information when we're approaching the dove in scripture. Remember that what when God says things, they're forever. And he says, when, his, when Jesus is baptized, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. At the same time, God saw the cross. Mm-hmm. And this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. I'm telling you that's significant. Yeah, and and you know, um John the Baptist seeing the Holy Spirit descend like a dove harkens back to the end of judgment, you know, with the ark when um the dove brings back the the olive branch for Noah symbolizing God's judgment is over and now they're going to be able to restart just with Christ. You know, Christ's work brings the end of judgment. He takes the punishment for sin. So, a lot of deep deep, rich meaning. Yeah, there, there, it, it really is true. It's these that we could, we could talk about this all day, but tell us about the 16th. All right. Friday, June 16th at 3.30 in the afternoon, Eastern time. Uh, we, I'm going to have the cast. My husband and I are going to have the cast. Everyone here at this table on our weekend show. So if you would like to check that out, uh, you can hop on over to my YouTube channel, which is my name, Corey Babechko. Uh, and yes, yeah, Friday, June 16th, 3.30, we're going to be answering viewer questions. We're going to be allowing you to jump in the chat and uh, interacting with some of your comments and questions live as well. So if that interests you, Friday, June 16th at 3.30 on my YouTube channel. I look forward to that. Janice? Yes, you talked about captivity as being captive into God's presence and captive by God. And I wanted to look at Psalm 126 from the standpoint of like our conversion from unsaved to saved. When the Lord brought us back, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. It's like, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Because, and like 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How much more glad can we be in our hearts? And we are glad, says verse three. Now I'm going to back up and start verse three and then read into verse four. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. You can imagine what those streams of water would be like in a desert place. And I thought um, John 7 verses 37 and 38, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams and the 
in the south. This is Jesus, the living water, the bread of life. And the last two verses, sowing and reaping. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And you know, we we learn about the parable of the sower. Jesus explains it to his disciples in Luke chapter 8. And it really is a beautiful picture and promise of fruitful witnessing. And I've written myself little notes here. There is no seed as precious as the word, the word of God, and no joy so great for the life of the believer to share it. When God saves us from captivity of sin into his salvation, when he can break the chains of darkness and those habitual things that we have come to to do in ourselves, it is only through the Lord Jesus Christ that we can become free from that, that we can be born again, that we can have God's salvation. It changes us. We literally become a new creation. And when we can share that gospel with others, My goodness, there is no greater joy than seeing someone else come into the kingdom of God as well, coming to that salvation um, knowledge of what Jesus Christ has done for me and for you. John 4 verse 36 says, And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. And that's the words of Jesus. I think it's fascinating when you compare God's captivity to freedom and you compare man's captivity to, you know, they, you think that sin and you do what you want to do and you're free. You're captive. To you're that. actually you, captive. You, you to serve that. something, right? You <laughs> got to serve. Something. Yeah. Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody. Yep. Well, again, I want to thank you for being with us today. It's been great sharing this time together. I just want to remind you that BD Family and Friends is the name of our new channel. And it's the name of the application that we have on the Roku box for your television set. And it's a Roku box is something you can buy at Walmart for $39 if you want to, one-time cost. Now, all of our stuff is free and all of that, but that's how you can get it. Or you can get it on the computer. Go to thestreamtv.com, or rather Bible Discovery TV, BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Very, very important. Today, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your presence in my life. Help me now on this day to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen.